The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, crank your headphones up to 11 and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 336 with guest Mark Mercury, recorded live Saturday, April 19, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, providing the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web application. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says... Tis better to have coded and completely borked your machine to the point of repaving than never to have coded at all. Carl Franklin. Hey, hey, hey! This is Carl and Richard. We're here to rock your .NET world. Hey, Richard. Howdy, sir. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thursday doing fine. show. Gotta love it. Gotta love the Thursday show. Laid back. Anything is possible. So, uh, you know, uh, we were at Dev Connections this week. In fact, we should be on our way home at this very moment. Although, I think you were going to New Orleans. Yeah, I'll, I'm probably on my way to New Orleans right now, or maybe tomorrow. Yeah. But uh, New Orleans Jazz Festival. I can't blame you, man. I would have loved to go. Staying in the French Quarter. Very nice. Yeah. Gotta love that. Beignets, two in the morning <laughs> at the Cafe du Monde. Yes, There's sir. No, nothing better in this world. I want to go to New Orleans when I die, you know, like for a jazz. I want a jazz funeral. Ah, uh, right. Little horn. Yeah, you know marching. what I'm talking about with the New Orleans jazz funeral where the, the band actually walks behind the casket on the way to the cemetery and they play all this like slow jazz music, like this somber kind of. Yes, but at any moment they could break into when the saints they and start do, dancing. Of course, around. of course they do when the saints go marching in at the end. But yeah, that's what I want, and a big party. So, you know, if I die before you, make sure that I have a jazz funeral in New Orleans. I or, will do that for you, my Or friend. at least a big party. Without a doubt, I'll do that. So, let's get right into our favorite segment, Better Know a Framework. 
And this is, of course, where I'm going to highlight uh, something in the .NET framework, not in great detail, just enough to pique your interest so you'll go into the documentation and investigate for yourself. Let you know what's possible. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, Mr. Franklin? So today we're talking about system.io.memorystream. Oh, yeah. Now, you know what a stream is, of course. This is an object that you uh, access a file with. It's basically your object for accessing files, for reading and writing to to files with byte arrays and things like that. And of course, there are a lot of uh, derived classes that come from the stream class, and one of them is a memory stream. Okay. And so the memory stream, like you would think it is, it lets you use a stream interface to write to a buffer in memory. And what's great about this is unlike an array or a collection or something something like that, you can just keep writing. You just write and write and write, and it grows and grows and grows. You don't have to worry about the size of it. You don't have to worry about any of that. And when you're done, you can just pull it out into a byte array. Okay. So it's great for when the end result is going to be a byte array. Um, writing data into a cache, uh, anything like that, uh, that's exactly what it's for. You know, with a, with a collection, if you want to convert a collection to byte into a byte array, you have to like serialize it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that takes more time. A memory stream is very efficient. So um, I use it all the time in sockets programming, you know, when I'm dealing with servers or when I'm dealing with digital audio or something like that. So it's a, it's a really nice handy class. Cool. So uh, who are we going to give some swag to today, Richard? Well, I think it's Daryl Carver's turn. He's talking about show 329. That's Kevin McNish's show. Oh, yeah. On DSLs and software factories. Yeah. And he didn't say hi to anybody this time. He just goes straight into it. He's all business. He's all business. I much enjoyed the discussion on domain-specific languages. I must say, however, I disagree with the discussion on the state of model-driven architectures. I am a longtime user of Rational Rose, and I must agree with Kevin on the state of their products. They suck. Nice. Did we disagree with Kevin on that point? I don't think we were qualified to, actually. Yeah. And and now I've heard another Rational Rose uh, user say he's not real happy. Yeah. However, there are other products out there that are cheaper and address the problem in Rational Rose's product line. Hmm. A notable example is the Enterprise Architect from Spark Systems. Huh. This tool does complete round-trip engineering, code generation, and can be integrated into Visual Studio. The latest version includes the capability to store models in a central database for enterprise-wide access. They also provided for integrated source code control you know, for their models. You may download a 30-day trial version from their website to take a look at at www.sparksystems.com.au. And that's Sparks, S-P-A-R-X. Ah. And the .au, of course, it's Australian. Hmm. Please note, I don't work for Spark Systems or resell their product. I am just a happy user. The essential difference between a modeling tool like Enterprise Architect and Microsoft DSL tools is that Enterprise Architect is able to work with most of the modern languages and frameworks, including Java and .NET. And Enterprise Architect is able to constitute UML models from all of these. In short, I do not believe that the problems we are seeing with the MDA, that's the model-driven architecture, lie within UML, but more with the tools that implement it. Pick the right tool, and MDA becomes more of a reality. And, you know, that's what I was really getting at when I was talking to Kevin McNish about this, is I think Microsoft has realized that their architect's edition of Studio is a dud, and it's time to make a great one. 
Well, and they can do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they will do that eventually. So it's nice to see they're focusing attention on it. But it's also interesting to see that there's other companies out there that are being successful with this concept, like Spark Systems. One thing hinted at in your podcast is that software is essentially complex, and software modeling tools obscure the essential complexity of the software by not providing good round-trip engineering, for example. In addition, as the code is written, an essential divergence occurs between the model and the software. Friedrich Brooks actually wrote about the problem in 1986 in No Silver Bullet Refired. Brooks calls this the essential property of software. It is invisible. And here's a quote from the book. As soon as we attempt to diagram software structure, we find it to constitute not one, but several generally directed graphs superimposed upon one another. The several graphs may represent the flow of control, the flow of data, patterns of dependency, time sequence, and namespace relationships. And so essentially what Brooks is getting at is that this divergence is pretty normal. And I was trying to say that what you want, and recognizing that that's normal, that as you code, you're going to diverge from the model, what I want to do is pick up in the model the divergences. And I have to do that automatically, so doing it by hand is insane. Right. And, you know, UML obviously doesn't doesn't contain all of that, all of the, the patterns that yes. are in the architecture that you want all the time. There's a limit to how deep UML can go there, but we want it to be drillable. We want to drill in and see the code that is represented by the model. Right, and the, the tools can do a good job of representing those things that aren't available. Daryl wraps up by saying, I have a more complete discussion on this at his blog at elegantcode.com. Huh. So that's Daryl Carver, Daryl with one L. And Daryl, thanks very much for your email. Yeah. Interesting stuff. And uh, it's an interesting thought that architecture and tools around architecture are going to mature in the near future. So I think we're going to pay attention to that. Yeah, they certainly are. Um, architecture in general as a topic has gotten much more popular in the United States. Yeah, I think we're just hitting a point now where the architect is going to be a full-fledged member of the software development cycle. It seems like right now they sort of sit on top of it, make their proclamations from on high, and then they're gone. And I want them in the loop. You know, at Dev Connections in the fall, there was an architect track. Yes. And it was more attended than any other track at Dev Connections. So they actually added an Architecture Connections conference this time around. And it was phenomenal. So uh, it just goes to show you the, the huge interest people in the States have in architecture. Hey, um, Richard, you know, we're going to tech eds all over the world this year. Yes, we are. And uh, Mark Dunn and I are actually doing a few more of them than you are, I think, because you're, you're back and forth between different shows and you got your Strange Loop stuff working uh, uh, against your your uh, schedule. I am buried under my own schedule, yes. But uh, we're going to be in Malaysia, August 11th through 14th, a tech ed in Kuala Lumpur, and then in New Zealand, September 1st through the 3rd. So I'm thinking like somewhere in between there, like I'm going go to uh, go to go somewhere tropical for a little vacation. And, and we were talking about this and you suggested that I go to, uh, go to uh, the island of Phuket. Yes, the island Phuket, the southernmost point of Thailand, uh, was an area that was ravaged by the tsunami yeah. back in uh, 2004 that uh, we all participated in with that uh, right. fundraiser. Right. Uh, I've been there since, all restored, looks phenomenal, but it's just the sort of place you want to go 
sit on the beach hat. It's unbelievable. Looking west out into the Indian Ocean. Great weather all the time. Oh, all the time. Unbelievable. Well, I might just do that and bring my guitar. Good for you. Uh, But speaking of exotic locations, uh, Infusion, who are our friends in New York City who brought you the New York tour and have- Mr. Brill. Yeah. A lot of .NET Rocks listeners actually signed up for that and have been very happy in New York City. Uh, where yeah, you know, that's the thing where they fly you out to New York and you work for a year and you they give you, I think they give you an apartment. Yes, rent the apartment free. was included, right? And they might even still be interested in people like that. But check this out. This is just a note that came by our desk, and I want to talk about it a little more. Um, and they say investment banks, government agencies, and even royalty turn to infusion development for sophisticated software solutions. Now we're turning to you. And I got to find out from Greg Birrell the story behind royalty. <laughs> well, and that's the thing about <laughs> Dubai is it's the United Arab Emirates. I mean, an Emirates is a kingdom. Yeah. So there are sultans. So what we're getting at here is that they're opening an office in Dubai. And they say, move to Dubai and start our newest office. Build solutions that influence world markets, city infrastructures, and private enterprise. Your work will make a difference in one of the largest technology markets in the world. Dubai is decadence, complete with the world's largest structures, indoor ski hills, and Earth's only six-star hotel, not to mention tax-free living. And I think you mentioned that you got to live there for a couple years before you can live tax-free. Yeah. If you're really going to take advantage of being an expatriate, you got to go talk to a tax lawyer because it's a fairly complicated process, not a trivial thing to do. But I would say this. You are barely going to understand where you are in the world living in Dubai in a year. <laughs> Commit to two years yeah. and have the experience of a lifetime. Yeah. Be a hop, skip, and a jump away from Pakistan and India. Be a short flight away from Oman yeah. or anywhere in, in Eastern and Central Europe. Go to Tanzania. See Kilimanjaro. And it's beautiful and sunny, and they have great beaches, and they have great bandwidth too, right? And it's not is it expensive to live, you know, compared to the American dollar? Um it's it's hard to judge these days the American dollar doing what it's doing, but not yeah. that expensive to live. It is an adventurous place. Everything is possible. It is an, it would be an incredible experience for a single fellow or girl for that matter or a young couple that wanted to experience the world. This is a huge opportunity. So it really is and the people in Infusion are very good about relocating and helping. In fact, they say we'll make your relocation to Dubai as simple as possible. We also offer tour programs in London and New York and are always looking for strong .NET consultants interested in working with emerging technology. So what you want to do is go to infusion.com or email a richardson at infusion.com for more information. Okay, Richard. Well, you know, this is another exciting show for me, especially because uh, Mark Mercury is our guest. And if you recall, we did a show, um, I don't know, last year. On it's 2006, pro- if you can believe it. It Was Was it really? Yeah. Um, wow. Well, anyway, uh, Mark was working on a, uh, a sort of a media thing that uh, I guess... It does, sort of died. We'll have to ask him what happened with that. But it was it looked very cool, and we liked what we saw. He's here to uh, announce something else. But before we um, before we hear about that, let me just introduce him. Mark Mercury is an architect on the platform architecture team, where he is both driving the RoboChamps project and contributing to content on S plus S. Mark has been in the industry for 15 years, the last five in senior roles across Microsoft, including consulting, incubation, and evangelism. 
Mark is the author of Beginning Information Cards and Card Space, From Novice to Professional, and he co-authored the book Windows Communication Foundation Unleashed and Windows Communication Foundation Hands-On. Wasn't that the same movie? Nice. Unleashed (laughs) in a world. Welcome, Mark. Welcome back. Uh, Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Richard. So, Info Center is not dead. That was July of 2006. I just double-checked. Yeah, so, you know, here's what happened. Uh, the, the podcast I did with you guys, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you remember, got lots of attention. Yeah. Which yeah. means I got lots of attention. Yeah. <laughs> I basically was switching into a new job, and my new GM said, hmm, I saw this in eWeek. Uh, can you give me, a, give me a scoop on what this is exactly? Because it, it was a side project. And uh, my new boss actually was very supportive, a guy named Scott Pedro, and gave me time to work on it. The reality was it was just taking a lot of time. Right. Um, so there's a, a version that's still living. I've actually rebuilt it in Silverlight 1.0. Uh, and I'm hoping once we get the RoboChamp uh, stuff out that uh, I'll go back and release it in Silverlight 2.0. It's, it, the, the ideas are still, I think, uh, very valid. Very. And the tools are actually much better. It was If you look at the implementation that we had back then, we hadn't, you know, WPF I don't think was out. No. Um, at the time. And um, it was... It was basically some uh, hackery to make it look WPF-like. Where right. Silverlight now, it, it's uh, it's super easy to do. It's cross-platform. It's it's a much better solution. Cool. So, uh, RoboChamps, this is what you're here to announce. Now, this is the first time anyone's ever heard of this. You're the only people outside of Microsoft that will be talking about it before the launch. Um, it's a new simulation-based robotics league. So, simulation-based um, robotics, meaning that you're building robots in cyberspace. Kind of, kind of. So one of the, the things with robots, right, is there's a hardware aspect to it, which means they're expensive um, if you can find them in, in the area that you you live in. And if you want to do some really exciting stuff, like if, suppose you want to do like the Mars rover or build one of these cars to drive you know, autonomously through the desert or downtown, you know, you're looking at a minimum $1 million for the car and, and all the setup to go with that. Uh, yeah, launch to Mars somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 million. Yeah. Just, a- <laughs> just in case you were planning on doing that as a summer project. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the thing is that simulation, because we looked at a bunch of different things. So I was tasked with, you know, how can we evangelize um, robotics and, and get people um, excited about that? And we thought about doing road shows and, you know, robots uh, may not necessarily travel well. Um, and you're not going to be able to hit everywhere. And we realized, hey, they've got this really great simulation engine that's built into a robotics developer studio. Why don't we take that and do something cool with it? And at first it was, you know, we can simulate these things. So there's a a sensor. If you had, say, like a laser rangefinder, if you wanted to buy one of those, it's $6,000. Ouch. If if you wanted to put one in simulation, it's free. Yeah, yeah, Um, right. Hey, put on five. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we started down that path, and then we realized, hey, you know what? You kind of have the matrix here. You can put anything you want in it. It's it's very similar to a video game engine as far as, you know, the types of graphics that you can put into there. And you're coding it all with with .NET. And and the reality is all the robotic stuff is is services underneath the cover. So I know some people think, oh, robotics is is sci-fi or it's for kids and things like that. But if you look at it, it's really services and orchestrations underneath the covers. That's why I, I got into it. You know, the only difference is if you're programming a car, you know, if you get a fault on a, a web service, that's one thing. But if you get a fault on a service that's driving a car, you know, you could crash it. So the, you have to deal with more data and the, the, the ramifications of if you don't code it right are, are more significant, which 
sort of adds to why simulation is, is attractive. Well, and I remember watching the DARPA challenge and seeing like the, you know, car drive into the barrier and you know somewhere there was a coder going, oh, yeah, yeah, I can fix that. That was awesome. And, and forgetting about the fact that, no, now the car is broken and all this stuff smashed and I know you could fix the code, but we're going to be a few weeks rebuilding the car. I got to <laughs> I, I gotta flesh that out a little bit, Richard, because so people don't know what we're talking about. Um, the DARPA challenge was uh, DARPA, which, you know, is the government uh, branch that sort of started the internet internet, you know, those guys, they, uh, they had this challenge where they wanted scientists and robotics builders to build totally autonomous vehicles. Now, these are vehicles that are going to run an obstacle course. I think it was in the Mojave Desert, wasn't it? Yep. I believe so. Yeah. And uh, the obstacle course had all sorts of twists and turns and, you know, pitfalls and things. And they were supposed to not be remotely controlled, but completely autonomously navigate through this course. And I thought it was interesting that the the winning uh, scientist took a very more adaptive approach to the visual um, field, where it would actually analyze the visual field a lot more than the other guys did. When, I remember there was a bunch, there was a group of people that had uh, a bunch of cars where they were actually putting in GPS points, and you know they they got I think they got the map the GPS map, like, four hours before the, the race. So they, like, had all hands on deck, like, putting in as high resolution as they could these GPS points in, which I thought was kind of hokey, if you ask me. I mean, the, the car that won actually was able to think better. Right, which is which is good. I think they yeah they did that to try and avoid having people plan the route in advance. Yeah, the thing that was amazing about the DARPA Challenge, of course, the first year they did it, which I think was 2005, 2006, nobody finished. It wasn't even close. Like one, they they went three or four miles, and then something would happen, and most didn't even get out of the starting gate. Right. But the next year, like six finished. Yeah. So it was. It just was an incredible proof of the model of small, innovative teams with really minimal set of rules can solve incredibly complicated problems, or what are perceived as incredibly complicated problems. Yep. And now they've moved on to the urban challenge, where they actually want to have fully autonomous vehicles driving in city environments with other vehicles and having to follow road rules and things. Do you know the perfect formula for building and managing websites? Follow me here. Zero effort plus Sitefinity CMS equals infinity in website development. That's right. Telerik challenges you to explore its innovative Sitefinity content management system and offers you a chance to win a sleek Zune MP3 player or a Sitefinity license. These cool awards could be yours if you only answer a few easy questions about Telerik's Sitefinity CMS. All you have to do is watch five short movies and see how easy it is to build infinitely beautiful websites with zero effort. You'll learn some cool facts about Sitefinity and the effortless creation of websites. So go to www.sitefinity.com and give it a try. It's fun, it's interesting, and it can get you a free license or a free Zune. So you can do this kind of, uh, build this kind of robot intelligence with this simulator? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And, and one other thing I didn't mention is the simulator is also uh, with a physics engine built in. So if you flip the car uh, like you would in the challenge, you'll flip it in the environment as well. So you can get a lot of information that way as well. But yeah, so the beauty is, is that 
as I mentioned earlier, you've sort of got like the matrix that you can build out anything you want. So we've got a city with, you know, blocks upon blocks. We've got a grocery store and French cafes and parking garages and, and, and all this, this stuff. And we'll have other cars driving around in the environment. And you, one of the challenges is you need, it's called uh, the urban challenge. We need to basically have a car uh, drive downtown uh, along a route, avoiding, you know, other traffic and, and obstacles as, as they go. Wow. That's well, crazy. I, just so, I mean, you, you, the urban challenge is a multi-million dollar project to, to even attempt it. You just could spend a lot of money. So the fact that we could simulate the whole thing effectively, of course, the question is, if I build this simulated version, is it going to work in real life? So it, it depends on how, how deep you want to go, right? So for the challenge, we're giving you, so there are a couple of things. So the folks that do things like the DARPA challenge, those are, are generally fairly senior robotics guys. Yeah, sure. Princeton, big universities, that kind of thing. Yeah, and in the last DARPA challenge, they actually one of the teams used Robotics Studio and they made it pretty far. Wow. Um, so, so you can definitely do that. We're geared uh, more for a broader audience, so there's a lot of guys that aren't at that level yet. So I'm looking at this really as an on-ramp. You know, we definitely welcome folks who are advanced, and, and I think they can do some really amazing stuff. But also it's an on-ramp for folks that, you know, I was interested in robotics, I can't afford one, or I don't know hardware. Hmm. But, you know, it, a lot of it is, you know, as Carl was talking about earlier, it's, it's the how do you write the logic for processing vision, and can you do some really interesting things in the software to interpret the information that's coming in, where, you know, hardware costs and just access in general has been a barrier for folks. Uh, we're hoping this will give them a chance and, and we can see what happens. Well, and I, I like the idea of an on-ramp because I know my experience in going out into schools and things is I think we're having a tough time really getting kids, you know, students interested in software development. It just doesn't seem to have the same fascination it had for us when we were young. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things I hear that a lot of students are gravitating to now is, is the X&A um, game right. development. Game programming. It was funny because I was talking to one of the guys over in XNA because we were getting ready to launch this. We talked to lots of people in the company uh, and said, you know, are there synergies here and that sort of thing. And, and I was describing how robotics works. He says, you know, it's funny. When you say robotics and the way you describe that, to me, that's a different definition of a non-player character. So basically, you've got, you know, these other people that are in your video games, like the, the bad guys or, right. or other people in the environment. So a lot of the stuff that you would learn for robotics as far as the logic of how do you react to all this information – goes over to uh, to XNA as well. So hopefully we'll get some crossover here and, and drive folks in that direction as well. I think probably one of the reasons that people aren't as as interested, I, I think, is because, I don't know, it doesn't seem as as hokey and as kludgy as it used to. I mean, the, the whole, there wasn't a whole lot you could do with robotics and programming that didn't involve like a slide rule back when we were kids, right? Yeah, well, it, and the thing is, is they've, they've got this really... Uh, great approach with the robotic studio. So they've got these generic contracts. So what you can do is you can write code for um, a particular, you can write it for these contracts to support, say, a laser rangefinder or a bumper or things like that. And the code, in theory, should work as, across robots. So before these guys had their own, sometimes they had their own languages or, you know, stuff, it was very difficult to move from one robot to another. But now it's, uh, you know, basically you're writing .NET code. Everything you're doing is in Visual Studio 2008. Right. And uh, you can just point it at, at whatever. So you can go from a Lego to a Corobot, which is a little bit bigger and uh, has an arm, to some of these other things. Now, you said there was stuff for processing vision. Is there? So you've got uh, simulated webcams. So you can plug in webcams and um, 
use simulated webcams. So those generic contracts, you've got one for simulation. So we've got some dashboards um, set up. So a dashboard is basically showing you the output of the sensor. So you can see the output of the laser rangefinder and the cameras. And you can look at the cameras and, and do some processing on that. There's some uh, basic stuff we give you some samples for out of the box, and you can go beyond that if, if you like want to. Like shape recognition and... I, you know, I don't have the complete list of everything that we've got hmm. um, out of the box. Interesting, But um, I, I can track that down. Well, if you've got anything at all, it'd be interesting to play with. And it and I didn't take me long to find on MSDN the whole Microsoft Visual Simulation environment. Oh, wow. So, so it's, I mean, it's here. The You know, the other interesting thing in the same area is the visual programming language. Yeah, so they've actually got this really great um, tool that comes with Robotics Developer Studio, which is a, uh, a visual design tool. It's built, built in WPF. And uh, basically, you're you're doing data flow. So you're connecting up these various services together and saying how they should react. And this looks like, like workflow that. manager. Uh, it it looks like that, yes. But obviously, I I guess it's not, or is it? Uh, it's it's not. Okay, but it, I mean, same basic concept of I have a set of sensors, I have a bunch of drives, and I'm joining literally visually these rules and so forth to uh, to the behaviors. Yeah, yeah. So the, the basically a service is a unit of orchestration. So everything you do with the robotic studio stuff is a service by design. It's very hard to write serial applications. Right. Um, so what you've, you've got there is a bunch of services as building blocks, and you connect them up, and you can perform logic against them. But it's it's a great tool. And then what happens is you actually uh, can generate a service. So you can write everything in C sharp if you want to, or uh, Visual Basic, or I in Python, you know, any of the .NET languages. Or you can use that tool, and it'll actually gen. C-sharp for you, and unlike some other tools, it actually is, is very readable C-sharp that you can sort of expand upon. And, hmm. and well, it sounds up. like a great way to get introduced to .NET, to be able to use this right. visual tool, and then, then you'll look at the code and start tinkering with it by hand. Kind of like the macro generation stuff in, in Office, the way a lot of people got into programming through yeah. Office. Well, it, it's a great on-ramp for doing the simulation, so you could, um, and they've got some samples on the site that you can get to, and we'll, we'll link to it from, from RoboChamps as well. Uh, where you can basically connect up to what they call the differential drive, and then you, you attach it to a manifest for a, um, a simulated Lego robot, and you just run it. And then there you go. You've got a Lego that's running, and you hook up the, you know, the dashboard services in there. You've got an um, Xbox 360 controller you can use to drive it and plug, it in, plug it in and drive it, and you're up and running pretty quickly. So it's pretty trivial to do stuff like that, which, again, you know, as an on-ramp, it's a great opportunity for people to, to learn and get started um, without a lot of robotic experience. When I could see as a parent, I'd be a lot more comfortable starting with this and, and Visual Studio Express, letting my kid try it out. And if he has a great time with it, then going and spending some money on, on a, a Lego-based robot or, or some other robot kit that works with, uh, with the studio. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's the other thing too, right? I mean, if, if the entry-level robots with lots of sensors like the Lego is at 250 and then the mid-range price point is like 3000 Yeah. It, it's not an impulse buy. No, so no, that, you better be pretty sure they're going to do a lot with it. Exactly. Yeah. So um, it, it, the simulation is, is good, as you said there. It's, it's, you can try it out. You can see what's going on. And, you know, today the, the simulation environment has some um, basic environments. Usually it's, uh, as one of the guys says, the, uh, the very disturbing world of carpet, or it's sort of like a flat <laughs> plane that's carpeted. <laughs> but um, with RoboChamps, we're giving away, you know, these cities. So we've got, you know, cities that are... Or what you'd expect, and there's cities that are after an earthquake and, and Mars and, and some other there's a maze and some other things that hopefully should be a lot of fun uh, and you'll be able to use for, for our challenge, but also, you know, just in Robotic Studio in general. 
So talking about these environments, are the physics of the environment separate from the environment itself? So I could pick an environment and then set the gravity low? Yeah, so the, they have the Microsoft simulation engine. So for the challenge, you know, for the actual competition part, you can't change that. But within the environment itself, because you can modify these uh, environments as well, they have uh, a gravity feature in there. You could you could turn the gravity off and watch the float into the sky. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. man. But it, what's also funny, somewhat tied to that, is the robotics guys, they are, they are uh, very agile, right? So you can uh, – some groups have, you know, hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people. They're a relatively um, tight, small team. So you can say, hey, you know what, there's a feature that I would really like. And they add it in this video. It's not actually not video. It's, it's data recording and playback. But it's 3D data. So if you wanted to do something fun, like turn the physics off, and like you're playing football and just have the football players just start floating into the air and things like that, right. you could record it and then share it around with, with other people and they could play awesome. it back. You know, the environment that's, that would be great to add to this then would be IIS, uh, ISS, the International Space Station. Oh, you know, wow. There's, um, there's some folks that are doing some interesting stuff in that space, but definitely. Definitely. That, yeah. That's uh, one of and of course, being from Canada, we provided the robots for the space station. The Canada so, arm, yeah. Yeah, the Canada arm, and the new one called Dexter, which is this enormous two-armed, uh, you know, twelve degrees of freedom robot to to allow you know assembly and stuff by robot instead, like actually programming for that out on uh, the outside of the space station, and knowing that you have no gravity, so if you don't let something go, it's going to float away. And you can't get it back. Well, it's interesting. We did these scenarios, and we did a cross-section of everything from, like, sports to the, you know, the urban driving to Mars. And the Mars one, by and large, people are just fascinated with it. So well, People yeah. just love the little opportunity and uh, uh, discovery, the, the two robots. The, the, well, even going back to Pathfinder way back in the 90s, those small robots roving on Mars, I think, did more to just fascinate people with the possibilities. Yeah, so based on the feedback we've had, you know, a space station type scenario or um, or a moon scenario, because people are now talking about going to the moon a little bit more frequently. Sure, um, the, uh, the, the moon challenge. Yeah. There's some company sponsoring that. I won't want to talk about them. Yeah, I have, I have a little company. I'm not sure. Never mind. <laughs> Let it go. It starts with a G, I think. <laughs> but you know what? They could probably use some Microsoft software to get there. Well, and you're exactly <laughs> right, because it really is open to anyone. To, to build a robot that can operate and do certain tasks on the moon. So to be able to, to prototype that, to have a moonscape in the correct physics and start working on uh, what a robot would look like in that environment, that I think is very compelling. So what is the, uh, is, is the programming of this, if you're familiar already with Robotic Studio, is this going to be a piece of cake to use? Yeah, yeah. If you're familiar with Robotic Studio, it should be a piece of cake to use if you're, if you're not. And you're a .NET developer, you know whether it's VB.NET, uh, Iron Python, or C Sharp, you're going to have uh, an easy entry point because we provide a community site that goes with it. So one of the things we've got there is we've got all the, we've got access to uh, training courses, we've got uh, access to online labs, to uh, video training that steps you through, so stuff from the product group. Uh, we've got some stuff from the, the f- folks in the field and, and some other things that are going on. And uh, we're also looking to augment that. Someone said the other day, it's like, well, you're kind of assuming that people know C-sharp or something like that. Can we add uh, in some additional content for people who are just totally new, who maybe you know are guys that are programming in languages that are on .NET or aren't familiar with that? Because the tools are all free, right? So Robotic Studio is free for non-commercial use, and you can use Visual Studio Express with it, so as well as you know the full uh, Visual Studio 2008. So 
the cost is low enough, so if people really want to get onto .NET as well, can we make that available to them? So we're working with some folks to make sure that there are skills for that or some training modules for that um, as well. And then we've got forums that people can connect up with, and we've added some social things like these robocards and uh, a gadget that will help you get connected. So the other thing is that if, if you're interested in robots, you may be the only guy or girl in, in your uh, work or your family or your school that, that's interested in this. So the community aspect is going to be really big to let you help connect up with other people that are interested, um, you know, meet up with a robotics team, see what's going on, um, all that fun stuff. I got to think that sharing code is going to be a huge part of this. Somebody coming up with a really clever maze learning algorithm, and then you can apply it to your robot. Yes. So um, we initially had a marketplace uh, icon on here on the site. From a, from a time perspective, we weren't able to get it on there, um, but we do have the infrastructure set up. And we've gone through the legal stuff, which is the toughest thing with something like that. Right, where sure. The, the, the download EULA will actually display a EULA that, um, you know, you, so we've got one for Microsoft and one for third-party content, so we're not liable and, right. and and that sort of thing. So if we want to do that, we can. I mean, the reality is today is that there are people doing really great stuff, but it's on their website, and you have to find it. And you have to find it. So to actually have a centralized place, a community site, to make it easier to share – uh, but also to to make sure that we're all working from sort of the same environment as well. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great to say, you know, here's a here's a problem. Why don't you guys go out and take a take a swag at it and see how different people approach it and see if there are you know a couple of really good ideas that can be moved forward or um, you know and share it out with community to have it tied into Codeplex in some way where um, you know the community can drive it forward. Now, I remember in the ancient days of computing, the pre Windows days of computing, that we had these these games where we had robots that fought each other in the simulated environment. Are we headed there? Is this a, is this robot a possibility? Wars? A robot wars kind of game? So we do not actively promote <laughs> violent scenarios, but everybody asks that question. Of course. <laughs> of course they are. I mean, we had it on TV, although it seems to have gone away. But I guess any kind of competition, it doesn't have to be violent. Uh, I think the Urban Challenge is a great description of this. I want you to actually write it. Uh, I want to be able to tell this vehicle, I need you to take this load of stuff to that location without getting into an accident. So here, here's a, there are a couple ways that we're doing uh, competition. Because one of the big things is we want to get people to get those competitive fires going and, and have some fun. So we have this concept of a RoboCard, which is similar to like an Xbox or Zoom card. Right. Where you, you pick an avatar. We've got uh, 10 different robot styles from various um, uh, styles we identified in pop culture. But they also identify a score that you get for each of your, um, each of your challenge participations. And you have um, challenge uh, icons, which are similar to achievements that you'd see in Xbox. And basically what's going to happen is you're going to be able to earn score through the, the league and gain reputation um, and things of that nature. And then if you wanted to do – so you're effectively you're competing against people for better scores on the individual challenges. Um, then also there's a soccer tournament at the end of the season where you're using robots for soccer. We get this giant uh, arena that we built up, this 3D arena. And you're competing in the top four finalists. And you're basically, it's going to be similar to, say, like an NCAA bracketed tournament, like a single elimination tournament, where you progress. And then the top four finalists are going to uh, be flown to PDC to compete with real robots for, for that. Well, uh, and the, the Robot World Cup has been something going on for, for years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the whole idea, the, the concept being that 
well, the RoboCut's plan was by 2050, there would be a full a set. You would have a team of human-sized robots that could play soccer better than humans. Yeah. So it's interesting. So there, by the time that this airs, there will have been an announcement that there will be a simulated competition for uh, RoboCup that will be using the uh, now uh, robot, which is a humanoid type robot. Um, and on the the week before this airs, there will have been la- a launch of a um, a kit for that, which will be a robotic studio simulation kit. So you can actually use this to program for the RoboCup. So we're definitely not, I don't see us in, in competition with any of these other challenges. It's more of an on-ramp to get people uh, up and running, and then they can go off and do these other things as well. Right, and you know, not to, to toot any horns here, but this is what Microsoft does best. Give mm. people the tools to go out and create. To you know, it, What you're really doing is making more RoboCup competitors. Let me just jump in here a little bit and ask a little more about this. Did you did you happen to mention about how you can uh, do this, build your robots in the simulation, and then actually transfer those to real robots? So if you're using these, so if you look at the, what the robotics pieces are, right? So you've got these robots, but effectively what you're doing is you're reading information um, from sensors, or you're moving um, you're moving joints, and you're, you're manipulating this robot in, in space. Uh, in this, this simulated space. But what you would want to do if you wanted to take that and apply it to a, a real robot is you would then point it at a manifest that points to the, basically using the same contracts uh, on a real robot as opposed to the simulation uh, equivalent. And in theory, it just, it just works. So if you were using the simulated, like today with what comes out of the box, if you were using the simulated Lego, you could actually use the uh, Lego NXT robot in the environment. You could program it and then uh, change the manifest such that it pointed to the real robot as opposed to the simulated version, and it should just work. It, it's, and they also have it so that if you're using these uh, contracts, you can move from robot to robot to robot, right? So maybe one is using um, embedded, one of them might be running Linux, one of them, you know, the Lego is running its own thing, and you can basically write .NET code, and then it'll be interpreted in, or, in, or go directly onto these other boxes. So you can move the same code from robot to robot to robot. There's some couple things you might want to take into consideration, like acceleration if you're using a car is going to be different probably than than on the Lego. Um, And you may need to adjust outside of simulation for, say, ground friction. It may be different. But by and large, yeah, you you, you write the stuff in the simulation and you can point it to to a a real robot. And what we're seeing is, is robot companies are creating these simulated versions so people can get up and running and then... I know um, uh, CoreAware, which is one of the companies that's sponsoring the first challenge and giving away one of their robots, they're introducing something called a class pack, which I think more people will probably do, where if you go to classroom, you only need to buy one robot and you get to use all the... Um, everyone else can use simulated versions just to do the learning. But I think simulation is just going to be huge as far as helping advance the stuff forward. Because you don't need to deal with the hardware aspects, which are important, but you know, there's, there's a lot more. Once you get the basic hardware there, you don't want to be you know, breaking out the soldering iron every... Uh, every right. time you want to do something different or having to wait to buy a laser rangefinder or save up for that. Well, then I like the idea that I could experiment with components before I bought them. Exactly, yeah. And, and you could see, you know, what's, what's the benefit that's going to, this is going to give to me. So if you wanted to put, so we've got uh, a robot which is running um, embedded, it's got some cameras on the top. And to be honest, um, I'm not that thrilled with the cameras on the top, and I don't think I'm getting as much value as I thought I was beforehand. If I had done it in simulation, I would have figured that out. Right. What are the some of the manufacturers that are selling robots that you can actually? I mean, Legos you mentioned, but are there are there real robots that you can purchase if you really get sick and into this in a big bad way? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. Um, so at the entry level, you've got um, the Lego, which is probably the most widely available. You can get that in right. places like Amazon. Um, if you're familiar with iRobot, they have the their Roomba, which is the vacuum. They sell a variant of that, which is called the iRobot Create, which basically is the vacuum out, but you can plug stuff into there. Uh, CoraWare, which is a company local here in Redmond, they have what's called the CoraBot, and they have a variation of that with with and without the arm. Um, there's the Traxster, there's the Stinger, there's the um, uh, what's the other one there? There's there's a, a bunch of these things. So what I'm talking about is is uh, a lot of the ones I've mentioned are in the 500 or, or below. Um, when you get to the CoraWare CoraBot, that's about three thousand, and that's you know bang for the buck. That's pretty good if you if you get that type of money to spend. And then they go up. Um, I think the next one up there is like seven grand. Guys at RoboSoft are doing some really cool stuff. Uh, and uh, the guys who produce the Now Robot, I'm not sure what the pricing is on that, but that's really neat. And then you know you go out from there. You got you know mili- the, the iRobot guys do a bunch of military type stuff and. Um, rescue and and what have you, but yeah, there's, there's stuff you can do today, and and you can program it all in .NET. Fisher Technic um, is also supported. Um, if you're interested in, in buying a robot, um, there's a place called um, Robotics Connection. Mm-hmm. They're they're a robotic studio partner. You can just go there and say, I want to buy uh, a robot, and they have. I think they've got a link that has Robotics Studio compatible robots. Wow. And, yeah, what I find fascinating about this is suddenly this is if you bring out a new product as a robotics manufacturer, you just make sure you build the piece to be able to run in simulation, and people can try it out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. And the thing is that there's you know there's a market um, also for just doing services. So you talked about vision. Suppose you write a really cool vision algorithm where you could sell that uh, to people, and people are, are are doing that today. You know, they're, they're uh, uh, I think Robo Realm has some. Uh, Vision software that they're—I'm not sure if they're charging for it, or giving it away—but um, there's all sorts of really interesting stuff that's available. And you know, we're at the we're at the early days, and I think something like this, hopefully, RoboChamps is going to get more people into it and drive some demand and drive some interest. And you know, anytime you get more people into the mix, you're going to get some things that you don't expect, and, and a lot sure. of times those are really positive. Well, and I see it going both ways. I mean, the other thing would be I, I buy this kit, and rather than than constantly play with assembling the kit. I go run a bunch of simulations so I know how I want to assemble it by the yeah. time I actually want to go and put it together. Just the, the advantage of the simulation to, to try new components and to try different configurations without dealing with the meat space angle of this. Yeah. Of constantly, did I tie that screw down tightly enough? And is that sensor in the right place? Uh, you know, and so that whenever you have a problem, you spend so much time trying to figure out, is this an assembly issue? Is it a, a, a physical issue, like that thing is broken, or yep. is it the software? So to right. be able to get the software down, and I'm confident that it works, now we can start, and that things are in the right place, that they'll have the behaviors I expect, now we can just purely focus on the physical issues while we're trying to manifest it. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics, who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. How, do you know anybody who's using this to control servo motors for, like, cameras, real cameras? And I don't mean, like, surveillance cameras, but I mean, you know, for video video cameras or video production, like dollies and things like that. 
I don't know about that. I can ask the team. I know if you're looking at like command control and mm. and you know vi- you know large numbers of video cameras, people are using it for that. Interesting. Um, today, I, unfortunately, I can't say the name of the company, but it's it's a, a big one that people would know. But it's we've seen a lot of people that basically have looked at this on the weekends. Uh, the underlying right. technology and realized, hey, I can use this in my financial services company, or hey, this makes sense for my you know um, military scenario, or it makes sense for me in my retail scenario. Just some really interesting um, things that are coming out of it, and, and hopefully, uh, the team can talk about those a bit. What more was that one website you told me that uh, that sells the robots, the actual physical robots? Uh, robotics Connection. Yeah. Okay. And I'm wandering around RoboSoft right now, and they literally got it broken down to components. You know, you want a hand? Here's a hand. You want a pen t- tilt gimbal for for a, a heavy assembly or a light assembly or a, you know stereo vision module? They've got each of them broken out. Yeah, wow. it's it's cool. And the other thing is that you know you're writing .NET code, so you can wire in other stuff that you've done. So I had a uh, a demo with the Lego because Lego has a touch sensor on it, like a, a you can do like bumper type stuff. And it was the help I found on a can't get up demo where it basically would go. <laughs> you could get it to flip. And it would trigger a call to this company called Strike Iron that has an SMS text message service. It would start text messaging people to let it know that it needed help. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Wow. But, it was, it, but you know, it's really easy. You, you wire the stuff up. You know how easy it is to wire up services, service clients in .NET, and now you can just sort of plug them into here, and it, it just sort of works. But uh, it's cool. And if you look at the robotic stuff underneath it, um, you know, everything is... It's got a URI attached to it. It's all about transparency and be able to see what's going on. So you can hit an endpoint to see who the partners are for the service, what's going on with the service, and you can build your own UIs around that. You know, basically you've got you know XML you can download and you can put into Silverlight or do whatever you want with it. It's really really neat stuff. Um, the other thing is they have this thing called a concurrency and coordination runtime, which um, I say let's uh, it, it's multi-core for or many-core for mere mortals. Right. So, it's asynchronous messaging. So right now, if you want to do multi-core stuff, it's all about you know threading, and it's just a nightmare. Where they give you this asynchronous messaging that runs on top of multi-core is just fantastic, and it looks like you're writing serial code, but you just get a tremendous throughput with it. And, and that's something that's a little bit that's something that people are really interested across different technologies. So we talked to the guys at um, Wiley. One of the guys in the robotics team is putting out a book later this year, and he has a really good chapter on the CCR. It's about 54 pages. And the guys at Wiley have been kind enough to let us reproduce that, and we're going to make it available in electronic form on the website, and we'll be at TechEd and some other stuff, uh, some other events. We'll be giving that away. And we're also, if uh, any of your listeners are going to TechEd, we're going to have RoboChamps at TechEd, and apparently they're getting these stadium seating and a bunch of other stuff. We'll have real-world sumo bot competitions and then talk about what's going on underneath the cover, so it should be a little Awesome. Fun. Wow. Um, Mark, you mentioned League. So, I mean, it's one thing for us to have our uh, our robo cards like the like the Xbox environment but what's the league all about so the league is really sort of a sense of community and, and you're participating in, in something and it goes back to the you know the, the guidelines i had about um robo champs were i like a league concept like a sports league concept and uh, think media property so it's designed so it's we initially had it working exactly like a sports league, right? So you have a competition and you move forward and you move forward and you move forward. Uh, and, the, you know, basically there's a competition that starts and then it stops and you can't do it anymore. Um, what we realized is depending on when people heard about it, you might be shutting people out. So from a league perspective, there are a number of matches that make up a season or challenges that will make up a, a given season. And for a certain time frame, you can compete in those challenges and you'll get prizes for those and that sort of thing. Wow. Um, but you're, you're not. Pro- if you didn't do one of them, you're not prohibited from entering the the Big Daddy Granddaddy tournament at the end of the, the season, which is the 
uh, sort of like the the NCAA sort of single elimination tournament. Right. And then the end of the season will be that tournament, and then we'll that is you know typically going to be a uh, the finalists will be flown to an event. This year it's going to be PDC, and we'll compete with with real robots. And then we've also tying into the league concept, we have this a show. So it's uh, machinima. So it, it's sort of if you've ever seen Red versus Blue, or I guess sort of a, a high tech version of what you see on that show, Robot Chicken. But basically, mm-hmm. you've got robots that are animated and it's sort of I call it Sports Center meets Dignation. So <laughs> you see you've got these three D robots that are doing commentary on on video. So when you're competing, right, you send in your challenges, you you're recording that three D video and, and you can share that around with us and we get it as part of the the challenge entry. So we'll we'll do highlights of what people have done and then mix in stuff that's going on in robotics. Um, if you ever watch you know, the, the gadget or check out the gadget blogs and gadget or uh, Gizmodo or any other blogs like that, you'll see that, that robotics is definitely coming up more and more often. So we'll talk about what partners are doing uh, that given week. We'll talk about what's out in the community. Uh, and as I tell people, it's either going to be big or it's going to be bad. Um, it looks cool. Um, I think it's nuanced enough that we, we need to get it just right. But, um, you know, we're, we're going to take the risk and see how it goes. But it, I mean, it's powerful to use that medium like that to to communicate news about what's going on in the community. Because often, especially for newcomers, just to get a sense of where the buzz is in a community can be challenging. So it's nice to create a focal point where they can see this and then know where to look next. Yeah, that, that that's the hope. I mean, we're hoping to provide, and we want to give links back to to other folks too. So we'll we'll link off the site to people that are doing great stuff on their own blogs. But in theory, if you want to learn robotics, hopefully this is this is going to be the place where you can go and get started. And you've got and you also have a context to learn about it and a challenge to sort of uh, structured approach to going forward, right? So the other thing is that okay, I want to do robotics. Well, what do I want it to do? And you know, what should I use and that sort of thing? So when you look at the challenges, really, it's it's an organized starting point. And because you can run them out of band, you don't have to run them serially, you can find one that interests you, right? So maybe Mars is really interesting to you or doing the autonomous car is really interesting to you. You can try what makes sense for you and you've got a, you've got an environment, you've got a robot, you've got some starter code and you're ready to sort of pick it up and go. And I, and I like the idea of, of, of sort of stratifying the league so that novices can, and can, can have a safe place to practice. I would love to see you know, what the best minds can do with something as simple as the NXT set from Lego. How creative can you be with this? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely want to see that. It, it, we're hoping that um, with the recorder functionality that's in there, that people will start doing uh, some very interesting things and showing them off to the community. And, and the, the nice thing about having the 3D data as opposed to straight-up video is that you can put camera. The thing we haven't really talked about is inside the simulation environment, you can put cameras anywhere you want. And you're not talking about cameras on the robots, you're talking about in the environment. Right. So you can mount them up in the sky, you can mount them on the robot, you can mount them uh, on the desk to get all these camera angles and do all sorts of camera panning and stuff like that. So if you're an amateur 3D movie maker, uh, in theory, you could do some some cool stuff with this. So we're thinking that if people want to do something really cool with the NXT, or the example I always use is, um, you know, they have this game called Grand Theft Auto. Some people like it, some people hate it. Right. But what some people do is they'll take a car, right? It's, it's an open world. So you could drive a car to the top of the parking garage, you know, back it up to the end and drive it off the roof and try and land it on the elevated train tracks and do like weird things like that. Uh, but it, it could be kind of interesting depending on what you're doing. So well, and you're right. It, if you get away with what the game of Grand Theft Auto is about, it's a really great world. 
phenomenal physics engine, great uh, uh, vehicles and things to interact with. It's much more interesting to just roam around there than it is to play that quote game. Uh, so the fact you, you're bringing the same sort of thing. And I keep thinking about all those crazy videos people made in, in Half-Life and Doom and things that this would be a, a much better place to do that in. Cause you can, you have a lot more control. And, and as long as you're creative enough, you could do anything you want. Well, the other thing too is that, you know, we give you some environments and some robots to start off with. But you can import, you can build your own robots, right? And it's, it's relatively straightforward to do, and there are instructions on how to go about doing that on, on the website. So you could go ahead and, and create your own robot. So if you, if you have, uh, suppose you're a guy that does design in, say, Autodesk, uh, 3D Studio Max or Maya or something like that, and you've got a 3D model, or you go to a place like TurboSquid, which is a, a company that does models, and you want to get a model of something and then put it into the environment, it's really easy to do that. Um, you can import into the simulation environment what's called the OBJ format, which is a standard export from uh, most 3D tools. And um, you can start building other stuff into the world or build your, build your own worlds entirely, your own environments entirely. So if I you mean, wanted to take on the challenge, you could build your own international space station. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, there's a company we work with called TurboSquid. That they, basically, anything you want, they have. And the prices wow. are reasonable. Like you want to, like we're doing a sumo bot. And I said, hey, I, I wonder how much it would cost to get like a sumo ring and not just the, the ring, but like the whole build out. Oh, it's $249. You want a model of London. That's like $400. I mean, it's wow. That's amazing. Once you get into this, you're like, wow, there's lots of stuff out there. Can we bring it all together and, and, and do some cool stuff with it? So I can run, and I can run these environments on my development machine. Can I set up a server so a bunch of people can, can connect to it and, and all run their robots on it? So in theory, everything is services-based. So if your machine is available, right. you, you could do that. Um, or you can provide connectivity through other mechanisms. You can also, if, if you all wanted to be using it at the same time, if you wanted to share it out, it's .NET code. So basically you zip it up, you send it off, and... Off you go. And I guess that would be it. Is I, you know, if the four of us get together and each write our own robot, and then I'll run the simulated environment where we're all in there. Mm-hmm. And take some video of the, the process and share that out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can have cameras on each. I suppose you're doing like a race environment. You've got you and three buddies all have your robots in there. Well, they can each have their own cameras on it. We're going to do this for the for the soccer stuff. So you can basically watch just like they're doing in Europe right now, where you can watch you know the camera angle from your various football players' point of view. You'll be able to do the same thing with your robots. It's it, the thing is, the simulation engine is just phenomenal. I mean, the the robotic stuff is is great, and when you add simulation in there, you start realizing you could do all this amazing stuff. I'll tell you why I've been quiet for the last fifteen minutes is because I've been looking at these robots, and the stinger <laughs> is particularly interesting. And now I'm thinking I could control three of those to each one holding the leg of a tripod with a video camera on it, and I can have the ultimate movable dolly here. I'm serious. Like, this is some seriously cool stuff. Well, and then you can program, you know, you basically build an orchestration that, that says, all right, do this, do that, do that. So you get sort of a an aggregate of commands or a workflow right. you want it to go through. And just hook it up to a dashboard where you're pressing a button on the desktop. Exactly. So you control all three at once. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, once you start getting into the – at first, when I, I'll be honest. When I first heard about this, I, I'm a services guy, right? So I was like, I didn't get that it was services and orchestrations under the covers. I saw the Lego and I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. Um, I mean, it's cool. Everyone wants a robot. But then I started looking at the technology underneath, and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I mean, the reality is that when you look at it, services and orchestrations are what we deal with in enterprises all the time. And sure. services and orchestrations are what robotics are all about. So it's um, in the multi, multi-mini-core multi you know, programming you can do with this is just phenomenal. I mean, the CCR stuff is just fantastic. 
Well, I see so many compelling angles on this. I'm I'm all about teaching, so I'm all excited about the getting kids interested in, in engaging at this level on why we do software development. But also, I mean, it's really leveling the platform for making robots more real. I mean, last time I looked, the the automated cleaning of my house was behind schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Rosie, <laughs> yeah. where is Rosie where is anyway? Rosie? <laughs> so I, I think to to create a synthesis environment like this, where a lot of minds can collaborate in a lot of different directions and and build up a pool of knowledge, uh, just is going to lend ourselves to ultimately getting there. Well, how is the robotics studio community now today? Is it thriving? What's going on with that community, Mark? Well, it, it, it's growing pretty quickly. You know, they, they were uh, initially a research group, and now they're uh, uh, being moved into a startup organization. Uh, I think they've got 50 partners today. Um, what we're doing is, is, you know, they're doing really well in the, um, in the, in the academic and, and professional robotics space today. If you read, you know, Scientific American, anything on there, uh, on the cover about Bill Gates, press, you know, uh, Microsoft, depending on who you talk to, we, we're loved, we're hated, we're, we're kind of liked. The robotic stuff has just universally gotten really great, yeah. uh, reception from the community. And what we're trying to do here is really can we expand this out? Because a lot of people are, um, they think it's either sci-fi or they think it, it must be really difficult. And we're hoping to really help them onboard a whole bunch of new people and, and see the great work that they're doing. But the, the community is doing doing great. We're looking to expand it pretty broadly. Well, and I see here, I've just on the community site for Robotic Studio, and there under the community articles is the .NET Rocks with Nick Landry on the Robotic Studio. That's right. Exactly. That's where we learned about that parallel library. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, this is just thinking on a whole other level now, the possibilities. Yeah, it's a. Uh, if you're on the the site, they've got um, we've got some things that people have won competition. So there's the uh, someone was in in DARPA. They didn't win DARPA, but they came pretty high up in there. There was a, a, a competition. It was a water based competition for the Navy that people competed in with Robotics Studio. They did. I think they won that one, and they won by by leaps and yards. Wow. Um, it, it, people are just using it for great stuff. The, the robotics guys are really funny. You talk to them, and they like. Yeah, because people are using it for a lot of things. So there's robotics that are make a lot of sense, you know, because that's what it says in the box. Then there are people who are using it for high throughput scenarios, command control, and, and other things like that. And then there are other people that are are using it in places like retail. And it really you start it's like it's robotics, but it's also um, home auto, you know automation type stuff. So in retail, and then I, you know home automation I think is another area where it's it's very similar. When I look at robots. You know, it's easy. Most people have this emotional connection to whatever they've run into in popular culture. Whether it's you know in Japan, it may be Astro Boy. Here, it may be R two D two and C three PO or or Kit from Knight Rider or, or whatever. Ah! But the <laughs> Not Knight Rider. <laughs> Sorry. No. Our our Knight Rider uh, references for Bowden. Yeah, uh, Bowden. there'll be no Hasselhoff on this show. Seventy no Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, now Sorry, you've sort Christian. of triggered a thought in my mind. Take away the, the mobile platform, even take away the arms, and go to the sensor model. And here's a great way to program the sensor synthesis concepts of, can I actually figure out if there's someone in the room or how many people are in the room? Uh, you know, that sort of uh, home automation angles uh, seems fascinating to me that we could we could start automating pieces of our home with uh, different sensor arrays and, and those sorts of things, just because it's so much easier to deal with it. It's a common way to communicate with all of these different sensors. No, absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing that people, is because of the you know pop culture references, they assume it's something that has to be um, 
interactive in a social way and or it needs to be mobile. But your house really is a robot. Your car is a robot. I mean, these are this is true today, right? Yeah, but absolutely. But for home automation, you could do a ton of stuff. Your brain <laughs> is a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and, and it, yeah, the leveling off the platform so that I, any sensor I want to buy, I know I can communicate with it with the robotic studio and any kind of interface or, or device, you know, well, they're you, all going to speak a common language or it's easy to create a provider so they will speak that language just makes all that a lot simpler. Right. And, and out of the box, they support the, um, the comp, the, you know, .NET framework. They also do the compact framework. And I need to double check, but they're about to release, I believe, the uh, micro framework support as well. Yeah, wow, the little, little one. We, we did a show on that a while back, and, and they get really small. Yeah, I mean, you could think about this, for example, right? So, so green computing is something that's on the top of mind for a lot of folks. Uh, I know some energy companies are talking about um, metering based on the demand on the grid. Right. And so it's 10 o'clock at night, you're going to bed, and uh, you put the dishwasher on go, and the dishwasher is basically now programmed to look at the grid and figure out, because you don't need really need the dishes until, say, 6 o'clock the next morning or later, right? So, look, when's the best time for this to run between 10 and 6? I'll schedule it, and uh, it's good to go. You don't need to do anything. Just basically have it interact with services there, figure out what the scheduling times were for that, and it could just go. I mean, once you start going down this path, it's really interesting how you have these devices all connected up to one another, um, all speaking the same language, all writing, you're writing code the same way. It's just really, really cool. Yeah, and all about workflow. Yeah. yeah, really. And, and that sort of, uh, here's a batch of services and here's the workflows around them. And maybe they've got wheels. Maybe they don't. Maybe they have arms. Maybe they don't. It doesn't matter. All of those things can work, follow the same set of rules. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it, it, yeah. I remember when, um, uh, a guy named James Conner, who was the workflow evangelist, and I think he said everything is workflow. And once <laughs> you start looking at it, everything is, is connected, um, through orchestrations. And um, orchestrations plus services just means you can do really great. I mean, because you can run services on you know the micro framework now with with this stuff, right? Um, and have that connected. I mean, you can put it in your bathroom scale. You could put it in you know all these other things. I mean, if you think about um, giving uh, credit where credit was due, uh, Nike's doing some cool stuff with with Apple right now, where they've got the iPod with your shoes, right? Connecting up. So what right. you, can do, you can run, and it's re- recording all that data. And for people in in um, Chicago, they have like the south side versus the north side, and you're competing for most miles run. Well, there's and, and it's basically taking all that data and aggregating it and putting it into a sort of a fun uh, experience. But so, there's no reason why you couldn't take all sorts of data. And sort of an iPodometer. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'd copyright that if it's not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll get a letter from a lawyer on that one for sure. I guarantee it. <laughs> Don't settle for those ordinary pedometers. Well, uh, Mark, is there anything that we haven't talked about? It seems like we've covered a lot of ground here. Yeah, no, we've covered a lot. Um, the, the only other thing that, that I'll mention is that uh, if this is interesting, um, in June I'm going to be at TechEd, and there's a chalk talk that basically talks about the, uh, the architecture of, of RoboChance. So RoboChamps behind the scenes uses Robotics Developer Studio, but it also uses Silverlight 2.0 and uh, Framework 3.5, ASP.NET 3.5, uh, WCF REST Services Link, Live ID, uh, wow. Sidebar, yada yada yada. So if you're looking to you know how do you connect all this stuff together and what's you know what are some of the challenges we had, what are some of the things that worked well, how do you go about doing it? Um, stop by in, in TechEd and um, check it out. And then if you're a TechEd as well, be sure to check out the SumoBot challenges. 
Yeah, and you know what? I'm thinking we need to have a robotics panel on the on the, oh, uh, that'd be so cool. the tech ed online stage. a demonstration. Yeah, <clears throat> we'll do Maybe a video. demonstration and some conversation. That'll be, be a good a DNR TV, actually, wouldn't it? So RoboChamps.com, that's, uh, that's where all of this is happening. If you want to know about this stuff, that's where you go, RoboChamps.com. Yeah, ab- absolutely. RoboChamps.com, we've got a getting started page there um, that'll step you through you know, everything that you need. Every, as I mentioned before, there's no software that you need to buy. Um, there's no, uh, basically it's friction free as far as getting started. Excellent. You can download Express, you can download the bits for Robotic Studio. The challenges are, are all set. It's really easy to do. And, uh, it's running in Silver Lake 2.0. So if you're looking for a cool example of that, uh, hopefully this qualifies. We've done, it, we've made it very Xboxy. So, it, uh, hopefully you like the look of it. Excellent. Our guest has been Mark Mercury. Mark, thank you very much. Wow. Thanks, guys. All I can say is wow. And thanks for, uh, thanks for choosing our little show to announce it on. Well, after uh, after the info center stuff, I had no choice. <laughs> I heard from every corner of the world. So I said, this, "This is the route to go." Excellent. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rock. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.